Chapter 8 of Flowers and Ferns and Their Haunts by Mabel Osgood Wright. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter 8 Flowers of the Sun. Every hue of flower and leaf crosses the open fields at some time of the year, and coming lingers, never leaving the wild gardens until dismissed by the leveling touch of frost. It appears as if the magician had chosen these wide spaces for palettes upon which to broadly mix and blend the primary colors before penciling the more intricate and delicate traceries of wood, waterway, and hedgerow. The first green of March, born on the margin of some warm spring, creeps along the field borders and pushes its way outward wherever moisture lures it until the brown is gradually submerged by the rising tide of verdure as yet the only matching tint in wood or on the hillside is the sombre weathered green of ground pine wintergreen laurel or cedar and in the swamps the listening ears of skunk cabbages pointed and satyr-like seem waiting alert for the red wings reveille the roll-call of the marsh frogs and the meadow-lark's announcement that now at last it is spring of the year in the well-groomed farming country the flowers of the sun are routed from the open fields and forced to take refuge along the fences or on the rocky islands of shallow soil that remain invincible fortresses unconquered by the plough but in two places these sun lovers still run riot dominating the shiftless attempts at agriculture both in the abandoned fields of lone town and in the upland moors between sunflower lane and the sea gardens where at most an annual cutting here and there of the coarse grass is the only disturbing element great stretches being left wholly untouched so that the ground is often fairly drenched with color the flowers of the sun are superficially speaking of two kinds simple and composite of the simple flowers the wild rose milkweeds convolvulus meadow lily and prickly pear are types while the tufted aggregations of small tubular blossoms the outer row of which may or may not have an extended ray-like petal giving the flower-head a disc shape are the composites of which the common oxide daisy sunflowers goldenrods ironweeds and asters are typical owing to the strength of cooperation and to vigorous constitutions the composites are an all-powerful race and their sway rounds out the year itself for may not the dandelion be found in some sheltered sunny nook from new year until christmas the composites are almost as much fixtures in the landscape as the trees so surely can we count on seeing them follow each other in a stolid procession the season through the very fact of their massiveness leads us to regard them more as pigments of rich color value in the landscape than as individual flowers of personal and lovable attributes 
but then it is always thus massed effort invariably kills individuality so we must let the composite battalion march by itself if we wish to be unconfused and single out and identify the more winning though less numerous flowers of the sun nearly all flowers flourish better in the open or in sheltered rather than in deeply shaded situations the few exceptions being leaf mold plants with rootstocks that creep close to the surface almost all of these plants might also live in the open if the supply of moisture was sufficient by flowers of the sun however i mean only those that we associate with the brilliant light of the summer landscape and its heavy full-fed greens flowers that need the direct sun rays to develop the most perfect luxuriance of form and color some we also find in early autumn before any thought of decay dims the plant horizon and while the few prematurely red leaves that decorate maple and sumac do not suggest hectic color but serve merely to heighten the opulence of maturity in the fields we do not look for the delicate half-tones and stiplings such as we find in woods and along the waterways though to be sure the water lilies are all sun lovers but for strong primary colors so we are constantly meeting with surprises of the three primaries red blue and yellow the last is the only color found in its purity in large quantities red ranking next and blue with flowers as with the plumage of birds being the rarest pigment of all there is another curious fact about the distribution of these primary colors in the plant world when left to natural selection the three are not often found in the same genus if at all thus we have a red and a blue lobelia but no yellow a red and a yellow field lily but no blue a blue and yellow wild aster but no red and so on indefinitely even with the garden flora the same fact obtains the blue rose is missing also a clear red pansy verbenas sweet peas and salvia skip a true yellow and dahlias and hollyhocks are never blue hybridization may introduce a tint approaching the lacking color nearly enough for commercial nomenclature but not the distinct primary itself why this is so remains a problem for science but the answer will undoubtedly be found meshed in the mazes of plant fertilization by insects for three months these flowers of the sun reign in the meadows from the may buttercups until middle august when the vigor of the composites largely overwhelms the frailer plants the delight of finding the flowers in their haunts never palls it is renewed like the seasons but if you wish to make the pleasure keener it is only necessary to guide to them one who is both enthusiast and novice such a one was flower hat of keen ear and color gauging eye when i first took her to my beloved sunlit meadows with a june landscape for initiation summer coming in with a swirl 
had swept away the painted cup, wild geranium, celandine, and iris or great blue flag before our pathways, which had touched and crossed in other years, met again to run as nearly parallel as those of unsheep-like people may. One day, between early and middle June, we sauntered, Nell's usual gait, born of experience, when off the high road, along Sunflower Lane, pausing often to look through gaps in the hedging bushes across hayfields where stiff timothy already rustled crisp as rye on the left a few well-kept upland meadows rosy with lush clover made vistas between narrow strips of woods and beyond these the marsh meadows and the sea gardens glistened with brilliant samphire green the brushed and wooded places were overflowing with bird melody and the hungry twittering of fledglings answered by the warning call notes of anxious parents came from every side bobolinks swayed and sang in treetops and clinging to arching blackberry canes snowy with blossoms launched themselves into the meadows where they suddenly disappeared with the impetuous dash of a diver cleaving the waves leaving behind not a wake of spray but a veil of music to cover their retreat above the tall black alders in the moist ditch beside the lane redwings were fluttering and calling wildly as of old showing that at least one wayside colony had held its own through the perilous dark ages of thoughtlessness until the awakening of intelligence in the cause of bird protection an osprey sailed majestically across to his fishing grounds beyond the beach and a myriad of tiny warblers flitted on before us darting in and out of the blossoming grapevines whose fragrance wafted from overhanging trees and followed us from leafy trails along the fence rails beside the runnel that was outlined by ferns and the unopened flowers of water hemlock great masses of the stalwart cow parsnip held its broad white-flowered umbels on six-foot stems once a quail mounted an old fence post and called bob white hurriedly three or four times disappearing in the brush without waiting for a reply we did not speak flower hat and i but continued to where the lane ended in the open fields there, before we had quite left the shelter of the last tree, Nell instinctively stopped, while Flower Hat drew in her breath and released it, slowly, in a sigh of pleasure. To define the different tints of green alone, that were blended by the sun and an almost imperceptible sea mist, would require an artist, both in temperament and words, yet these greens were but as the settings to the sapphire, amethyst, ruby, and gold that jeweled the open stretch, where, for a mile, the eye roamed uninterrupted over dry, moist, or brackish meadows, unbounded save by an occasional stone or stake bearing some cabalistic sign, the dubious landmarks of many claimants. The gems of gold, 
were the countless clusters of sundrops, the daytime brother of the paler evening primrose, lowly tufts of star-grass, and sturdy yellow thistles, the sapphires, the lily-shaped flowers of the stout blue-eyed grass, and the sparkling amethyst, its taller cousin, the slender iris or blue flag, which blends in the exquisitely penciled flower the gold and blue of its field-mates with a purple tint of its own, while the freshly opened heads of escaped clover and the native milkwort carried the ruby tint right into the shining emerald sedge. Oh, for a musician to write a sunlight sonata, murmured Flower Hat, half to herself, someone gay and bubbling, like Papa Hayden, but who would leave out the piping of shepherds and give instead the vital breath of the earth, a tone poet so serious and emotional. See, listen, there is the allegro motif, the bobolinks and twittering swallows carrying the theme while the very grass marks the rhythm as it blows to and fro. One must be deaf and blind not to hear and almost see the music that expresses it all. Yes, I said, if it's music and painting as well, a perfect landscape, its horizon hidden in sea mist, inland boundaries of oak woods for contrast, and every flower and leaf in it as much a part of the whole and as dependent for full meaning upon the complement of surroundings as are the separate notes of a glorious chord. In middle of July we were again in the back country, and resting from the noon heat under some great sugar maples which, as they so often do, topped a road bank, standing like a stately grenadier guard, exactly so many paces apart, in regions where there are no present signs of habitations to account for their planting. Inside the fence was a rocky waste, then rolling and rather barren hills, but across the road were fields, dry at the edge and hedged with vigorous wild rose bushes, but soon dropping to less barren if not absolutely moist soil and a bit of low pasture. There was no breeze, waves of heat quivered above the sandy road the leaves hung heavy as did the languid air which seemed to make respiration slow some cattle grouped under a single chestnut in the middle of the pasture chewed their cuds slowly while a red-eyed vireo in the maples repeated his monotonous song over and over even the flower colors though bright seemed less emotional than those of the june fields perhaps because the sun's fierce rays somewhat absorbed and neutralized the reds and yellows the great patches of prickly pear or indian fig with its thick leaves set with tufts of spines had managed to find lodging in the earth which in spots failed to conceal the rock ledge in the nearby field red with sheep sorrel bringing a picture of the arid plains to the hillside. The showy blossoms, flowers of a day, three inches across and set singly on the leaf edges, are of a clear yellow, the petals having that peculiar quality which we see in the night-blooming cactus, while the stamens form a thick ornamental tassel. 
Although the plants were still in full bloom, there were many withered flowers and also some of the prickly pear-shaped fruits, which in time become a dull red and are edible for those liking their flat, sickly sweet flavor. Across the road, the wild roses varied from pale pink to deep carmine, according to the fullness or the newness of their bloom, and in dry places, thorny wands of sweetbriar, studded with its flesh-white flowers, made graceful arches. Farther afield, where the remains of a stone fence, long since tumbled down, gave protection and drew moisture, was a long line of white foam, the flowers of meadow sweet spirea. This white line, as it broke abruptly away from the fence and invaded the richer meadow, rose higher in spray and here proved itself to be the tall, feathery meadow rue with much compounded leaves. With the rue, a stately plant appeared. The straight stalk, five feet in height, was capped by a pyramid of nodding flowers and buds, fifteen in all. The open flowers, with recurved petals of deep yellow and tiger-spotted, tawny-capped stamens, vibrated at a touch, until it seemed as if they would tinkle forth music as sultry as the day itself. A giant meadow-lily, this, grown doubtless from a veteran bulb, for the others that nodded drowsily over the field grasses grew in twos and threes on stalks at most a foot or two in height and varied in color from yellow through tawny to indian red a springy spot was marked by the faded pink spikes of steeple-bush a cousin of meadow-sweet and another species that promises so much and yields so little glints of red among the meadow-grass gathered in an erratic trail toward the shade at the farther edge another lily but this time the purple-spotted flower is held erect chalice-like and when two or three branch from the straight stalk circled at intervals by its wheeled leaves the effect is of an exquisitely wrought and enameled candelabrum this is the redwood lily so called because it is said to grow in shade but i have always found it as now shedding its light over the open fields though of course it may be a case of the flower having survived the sheltering trees of its real haunt hereabout at least it is a true flower of the sun flower hat followed lazily comparing the lilies that she held in each hand with those in the grass moving them to and fro to change the effect of light suddenly shading my eyes hand and she unheeding almost fell over me crying what is it a big black snake at last no we shall have to meet one some day and i am not sure but what like the woman who looks under the bed for burglars i'm half disappointed that we have not met even a little one as yet it deprives bog-trotting of half the adventures that i had thought a part of it considering the places too that you have rashly dragged me through the past month i'm beginning to think that this part of new england was really discovered by st patrick in an unrecorded voyage 
but finding the territory rather large to cover with spells and opportunities of escape great he retired to practice snake charming in a spot where he could drive his victims into the ocean after the dramatic orthodox and rapid fashion of the devil-possessed swine superbum turks cap lilies you say where she continued hardly waiting for my explanation oh indeed they are superb truly i don't wonder that you stopped short and couldn't believe your eyes surely to-day we are allowed to see the lilies of the field in all their fine raiment what reds and yellows see that patch of orange yonder where the land begins to roll what is it a field sparrow perched upon a stalk of mullein gave his little song in a slow and listless manner that lacked the precision of a month ago a chippy hidden in the grass followed with his insect-like trill that belongs to spring dawns and heard at noon in july seems doubly unbird-like we both paused a moment as we climbed over the old tumbled-down vine-covered wall that was little more than a zigzagged stone heap and looked back at the lily field not a breath of air troubled the grass through which the sweep of the land seemed to move in a legato measure this is the second movement of your sunlight sonato adagio i said when we had reached the orange blaze on the hillside which proved to be a glorious mass of butterfly weed the queen of milkweeds in perfect bloom an oasis in a desert of wiry grasses and mullains close to the milkweed was a bed of toad flax or butter and eggs as we call it locally the jolly yellow spurred flowers with orange lips seeming to crowd and jostle one another on the spike no one would have thought of grouping these two flowers together but the magician sanctioned it and the result was a barbaric color effect with the bluish-gray heat haze for a background let us get back into the shade and rest said flower hat covering her eyes i'm fairly exhausted with color so we found our way to a partly shaded cart track that crossed the fields and led toward the road where nell waited under the maples milkweeds of various kinds were scattered along the open side of the track and swarms of brick-red butterflies called milkweed monarchs hovered over them while the color scheme was still further carried out in tint and form by the star-shaped flowers of common st john's wort of fragrant foliage being the herb john of old gardens the golden partridge pea of sensitive leaves and by the paler-hued yellow loosestrife with the exception of the orange butterfly weed the milkweed family used a different color scheme varying from the white of the wood milkweed through pink to dull purple here by the cart track the most conspicuous was the common milkweed of the silk-filled pod robust habit and great almost globe-shaped clusters of flowers of a color difficult to describe so strangely does pink blend with a dull gray tint in early morning or toward night this color exhales a penetrating fragrance 
so that in passing along a roadway edged by swamps i have been deceived by it into looking for the clammy white azalea next in color comes the swamp milkweed of low grounds and waterways which is a decided pink and deeper yet are the less luxuriant blossoms of the purple milkweed with deep pink flowers dulling to carmine purple and leaves more sharply pointed than the silkweed near which it grew along the cart track and climbed the hillside shade rest and luncheon this is indeed adagio for mind and body murmured flower hat drowsily over a closed book an hour later her enjoyment of outdoors was it yet more physical than mental she was soothed rather than stimulated later on the balance would be more equal and though she might rest balmily in the open it would not be with closed eyes and she would abandon the formality of holding a book in her lap when the magician spreads his open pages before her turning them to suit every mood with fingers none the less real because invisible we had been sitting with our backs towards the west suddenly the sun rays that flooded the road were withdrawn and we turned together to see the thunderheads racing up the sky toward their favorite point from which however they have often veered but this day determination was written on each puffy ridge and emphasized by a smoky yellow underscud that made me immediately wish for the sight of a farmhouse ever so small did i say adagio a moment ago cried flower hat on her feet in an instant and jamming the things into the chaise that is over and in a moment the rondo will be jangling over us really though this movement is out of its authorized place the sonata is progressing finely if we only had the musical impressionist to transfer it from the air to paper did you see that flash don't put the drinking cup on top of the plate holders i didn't mean to but please do hurry with that camera and let us get away from these trees trees are very bad things to be under go over in that old shed yonder never you know that hay attracts lightning and i see wisps sticking through the cracks then said i there is nothing to be done but to pull up the chaise top and boot and follow the road until we come to the first house which is all of a mile away i'm sure oh there are the first notes of your rondo and of course as a musician you must expect many repetitions of them i continued teasingly as a heavy peal of thunder started a downpour of staccato rain do keep in the middle of the road begged flower hat as branches brushed the chaise top don't you look to be left don't you look to de right keep in the middle of de road i hummed assuming a gaiety which i did not feel poor flower hat however was not looking at anything except the trembling sleeve in which her face was hidden so i whipped up now much to her indignation which however showed itself effectively in a snort curvet and spurt of speed it was a downgrade to be sure which soon 
brought us to the farmhouse. I also confess that I do not like thunderstorms, and prefer, when caught out in one, to have a masculine companion. Why? For purely logical reasons. If there is any trembling to be done, I want to do it myself. And I like the manly reassurance. There is nothing to be afraid of, whether I believe it or not. Flower Hat went to the mountains in August, soon after our last day at Treebridge, and so missed the great flower show of the composites. But she reappeared one perfect middle September day, and begged for another trip to complete the sunlight sonata, if it were not too late. Too late? I said hesitatingly. Not for composites, but rather late for the simple singing flowers. However, we will try, though it will not be to find orange and yellows, but rather more fragile and uniquely clad blossoms. Better yet, she cried, they'll be the theme for the scherzo, or slender light-stepping minuetto. Then we departed from our usual haunts in the sea gardens and time o' year's woods, and turned now in a northeasterly direction to where low meadows basking in sunlight borrowed moisture from adjoining springy woods, where in time it collected in pools that gained motion and meandered off as little streams to find the Housatonic. It was a sparkling day. A keen breeze out of a cloudless sky kept everything a titter. The grass greens were still of summer freshness, but here and there a pepperidge, scarlet oak, or sumac thicket, a maple or a trailing creeper showed the autumn coat of many colors which soon would wrap the countryside the perfumes of the way were not born of elder flowers clethra or milkweed balls but of the spice of ripened grapes heated through by the sun's ardor in wooded lanes the leaves shook with the pattering sound of rain as in the springtime out in the open, the long grasses swished forwards and backwards with the crisp, sweeping sound that follows the scythe. Quail coveys, protected by the closed season, often ran fearlessly along the roadside, then, rising in unison with a whir as of one pair of wings, dropped and disappeared in the fields, where the corn was already cut and stacked. Flocks of mixed warblers that were feeding and waiting for night to continue their migration fidgeted about restlessly, and high in the clear sky a company of broad-tailed hawks were soaring in wondrous circles after their autumn and winter fashion, as if for pure pleasure. "'There is a new color,' said Flower Hat, laying her hand on the reins and pointing to a low meadow. It is too deep a rose for clover. What a wonderful mass of bloom! A new color, and two shades of it to boot. Two flowers, I think, I said, looking carefully. And the field is evenly divided between them. The lower half is one sheet of the magenta cross-shaped flowers of meadow beauty, and in the drier upper half the large purple gerardia which is really a crimson pink, is growing as thick as clover in June. 
Surely the magician has led us today, for I have never before seen either flower in such splendor. A few miles farther on, and the rolling ground showed patches of tall blue lobelia of a more brilliant hue than the bugloss or blue weed that we had found as a garden escape. What a perfect blue! cried Flower Hat. Wait a mile or two before you say perfect blue, I answered, and then thought, what if it is not there this season? But it was. Between two lightly wooded hills ran a green river of marsh weeds, moss, and tussock grass, the whole thickly set with flowers of two colors, deep sapphire and white. At a distance, the detail of the flowers was not discoverable, merely the color, but as we threaded our way in from the edge, the blue brightened and became fringed gentian, and the white, glistening like pearls, divided itself into countless spikes of the crystal ladies' tresses and the single five-petaled blossoms of the grass of Parnassus, a heavily-veined flower held upon a long stem above the tufted plantain-like leaves. The fringed petals of the wide-open gentian, caught and twirled by the wind that blew through the gap, drank in the full sunlight and wore the azure, the hue of heaven, with which Bryant paints the flower that, unless seen blooming in the open, belies its famed charm as well as color, for the half-open blossoms of the shade are purplish, contracted, and more interesting botanically than as flowers of the landscape. Flower Hat stood in silence, looking first at the sky, across which thin feathery clouds now sailed, then at its reflection in the flowery maze before her, where gentians, marsh ferns, and ladies' tresses were blended and swayed with the breeze that also brought zither music from the slender birches, while the ripe grape odor and the rustling reeds on the marsh edge suggested the rhythmic treading of the wine-press of pastoral days. "'This is the finale,' she cried, minuet or scherzo, as you will. We have seen, we have breathed, we have heard. Yet, alas, who will imprison our sunlight sonata for us that others may believe?' End of chapter 8